Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a TV show that's been on TNT. It's called The Last Ship. It is based on a novel by William Brinkley. Now, this is one you had been telling me to, to watch. I finally did, which is why we're not recording it like the instant it aired by any stretch. Ten episode first season. Watched all ten episodes. We're going to talk about a lot of it. Spoiler heavy. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's great stuff. Um... Well, and I would like to mention that when we say spoiler heavy, we apparently knew a few things that even the press people and the people from TNT didn't know when I spoke to them at San Diego Comic-Con. Such as? Well, our father served in the U.S. Navy. Yes, that I knew. Yes, you did. And so I was just fascinated by the commercials for The Last Ship when they started airing. And when something about the Navy comes on, and admittedly, you know, this is not a fact-based show by any means. Well, let's go for the premise just real quick. Uh, It's basically there has been a worldwide virus outbreak, uh, an epidemic. It has killed a lot of people. While this is happening, this particular ship, the Nathan James, is on a special training mission or whatever up in uh, the Antarctic or something out of touch, frozen wasteland, doing all their drills, radio silence for four months. Um, they've got a doctor on board who's studying birds up there. Well, it turns out she's looking for the original strain of this virus. She knew what was going on. They get out of radio contact. They're still up there. And it's kind of, they're the last ship standing because they were incommunicado and away from everybody when this virus came out. They were purposely isolated and they feel betrayed by the people who commanded them to be away from the front lines and away from the danger and to be safe because they don't realize at first that they were sent to look for a virus to sent to look for a cure and sent to look for this possible hope for the future well it's interesting because on the one hand, it's literally a post-apocalyptic story. They just happen to sit the apocalypse out, which is always a good plan, my recommendation. Definitely. But it's also very much a, a military show. Again, like you said, our dad, uh, public affairs officer for the Navy, he has strong feelings as to how certain ways you know, the Navy ought to be portrayed. I mean, that was his job for a while. It, it was definitely his job to look over scripts and to view how the military was being portrayed on the screen and to say, yes, you can have military cooperation or no, the military is not going to work with you as long as there is a suicide in your script, for instance. Or something else that that just isn't either accurate or makes them look good or not to their liking. I mean, that's their prerogative. And if you're going to set a, a TV show on a naval vessel, which they definitely do here, mm-hmm. I imagine you could do it without the Navy's cooperation, but it seems like it'd be really hard. Yeah. And 
I'm not much for for kind of the the military type shows or whatever. I got nothing against them, but I'm more for the sci-fi, the action adventure, that kind of stuff. So I I don't say drug my feet, but it took me a little while to to find the time to watch this. Well, and when I first watched that first episode, I did it thinking I'm going to tell our dad about this if I like it. Mm-hmm. But if it rubs me the wrong way, then I'm not telling our dad about it because I know it'll really rub him the wrong way. Well, 20 years in the Navy, yeah. you know, I could definitely see where he would take that personally to an extent. Yeah, but... And by extension, I think we do too. Yeah. One of the things I love about this is these sailors and midshipmen are, you know, whatever the proper terms are, I'm sure dad would be... Yeah. Shame that I don't know all of this. Now, I would like to clarify, I was six years old when he retired from the Navy. Yeah, I was a few so, years older, but not by much. Yeah, but so there's a lot of his Navy life we don't know. What I liked about this, though, is it reflects well on the Navy and on the Navy personnel and military in general. These guys and, and ladies, there's there's uh, people of both uh, uh, genders on the ship, are competent, smart know their stuff, they're not perfect, they have flaws, they have different personalities, they are not super soldiers. Mm -mm. The Unit was a TV show on a number of seasons back, and it was a super soldier series, essentially. Yes. These guys could do anything. And there's, it's a fun action show. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say, and maybe I'm wrong, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily incredibly realistic. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, these characters felt real. Yeah. They make mistakes, they have disagreements, but they're also in just a, a, a literal, uh, not literally, but a practically unbelievable situation. The scary thing is it is believable. Yeah. That there could be some kind of a viral outbreak that just spreads like wildfire and people are dropping like flies. Yeah. You know, and the way they handled the medical aspect seemed reasonable, the way they handled the military aspect seemed reasonable, and... We've seen sci-fi shows that cover similar ground. Um, I would say Crusade, the Babylon 5 spinoff, was one of those. And it's a, we're going to go search for a cure. And here, after the end of the first episode, it's we're searching for a cure. Well, and at San Diego Comic-Con, because I did, I went to the panel, and one of the big points they made was, we want this to be a show with hope. We don't want this to be incurable. But that's the thing is most of these other shows, yeah, they'll spend five years the life of the show searching for a cure with no luck. Yeah. The, they make steady progress. They have setbacks here. They move forward. They have challenges. But it's one of those where you see the forward movement. It's not, Jesus is ever going to pay off. It's like, wow. I mean, the amount of, of, of story they cover in the first season, which is 10 episodes. Is phenomenal. Amazing. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why, as I was watching it, I was encouraging you, get into the show. And I think I had seen probably three episodes when I thought, okay, I'm... Because there were a few things in that very first episode where I was like, okay, they did one relationship where I was like, Nah, that would not happen on a Navy ship. But yeah. other than that, I'm good with this. And by the second episode, I brought it up with our dad. And he's like, no, I haven't heard anything about this. Not among my retired Navy buddies or anything. And I was like, oh, okay. And by the third episode, I was like, dad, are you sure? And he said, yeah. Well, I went on a Google and Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. 
And I looked up this author and his uh, biography, William Brinkley, and found out he had served in the Navy in World War II. And that's when I went to Dad with this little biography. And I said, well, Dad, have you heard of this author, William Brinkley? It says he served in the Navy. And Dad looked at it and he said, well, of course I've heard of him. He was a legend among public affairs officers even 20 and 30 years later. Yeah, from the way Dad was talking about it, this is not just some guy who'd been in the Navy or even some guy who'd been in the Navy as a public affairs officer. Yeah. But like one of the guys, you know. Yeah. Um, and I haven't read the novel. And I haven't had a chance to read through it either. It is by no means a short novel. It is uh, in the neighborhood of 600 pages. Wow. It's funny because I could see that kind of mapping out to a 10 episode season i'm not saying it covers the same ground i doubt it does but it seems like kind of a page a minute kind of a deal 60 minutes granted it's more like 40 some odd for a tv show but the fact that it's written by somebody who knows his stuff on the navy side is always a good sign and it showed in the material but it also to me is not only just they had good source material to pull from presumably Although Dad was telling me about some of his other books on the beach and stuff like that that he had high respect for. Yeah, well, and one of uh, William Brinkley's novels was something that our dad read when he was in ROTC in college getting ready to become a full-time naval officer. Mm -hmm. And he was saying it was just one of those inspirational things that made you think, yeah, I'm doing the right thing going into the Navy. Well, I think... This show does kind of what that book did for our father, what Top Gun did at one period. It's basically showing the Navy um, as as the heroes doing the right stuff, um, the kind of people you would want to be, kind of their best selves or whatever. These people are in an incredibly challenging situation, and they're doing above and beyond the, the, the call of duty in a very literal sense. It puts the Navy in a really good light as this is the right thing to do. Well, once I'd watched the entire series and I got to the end and I hadn't really persuaded our dad to watch it yet, Mm -hmm. which remains one of my goals, I will admit. Uh, Has he watched it yet or no? He hasn't. He wants to. Okay, that's good finally gotten him convinced because he doesn't like post-apocalyptic shows that's not where his mindset is Mm -hmm. but I was just telling him random pieces where I really thought you know when I think of Navy personnel I've known over the years and our godfather was career Navy etc etc my childhood babysitter career Navy you know if I were to just think of random personality traits of these people And then think of scenes from the show and say, did they get these things right or not? You know, when they finally come up with a vaccine on the show and say, okay, we need to test it. And they put out the word on the ship, we need volunteers to test the vaccine. Mm -hmm. I'm telling dad about this. And I say, okay, dad, how many people on that ship do you think volunteered? And he just looked at me and said, all of them. It's a selection bias. The people who are going to be on that ship are going to be the type to do that kind of stuff. Particularly in the situation where they know the fate of the world rests in their hands. But see, the writers knew that and got it right. 
in my opinion. Well, in addition to having good source material, they've got people on the show, be it the writers, the producers, the the consultants, I don't know who, Mm -hmm. that understand the military mindset and have just gotten it right, in my opinion. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's... It's easy to watch a TV show or a movie where the military is played as just the the tough guys or the the, the really stubborn, it's got to be by the book or by the rules or this is the way it's done or whatever. They may be heroic, but not heroes. Well, and Eric Dane played a captain who was not simply respected by his crew because he was captain, but because he earned their respect. Well... One of the things they do, and I think it was in the pilot, they're down to, they've, they've been attacked by the Russians up in the Arctic, they're on the run, they're down to their last fuse, and it's like somebody's got to hold this thing in to get this shit back up and going. And there are like, a couple other people say, I'll do it, and he's like, no, I'm the one. And he doesn't, and he gets knocked back or whatever, but it's one of those, this captain's not going to ask his men to do anything he himself would not do. Yeah. And that comes up later when they have to test the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And that was one where, um, I guess it's the Master Chief. Yes, the Master Chief was such a great character. He was one that at first, not a big part. No. But then there are a couple of places where when he's leading the the vigil or whatever that they're having on the deck mm-hmm. for all of the family, they don't know if they're living or dead, you know. And when he's explaining later to the captain how he had gotten into an accident had it was his fault he'd killed his wife and child and had kind of survivor's guilt why it was why was he spared and kind of at this point now he knew this was why this guy has whether you agree with it disagree with it it's not that god has spoken to him but he knows his purpose Mm -hmm. his faith is now absolute yeah and his faith in his captain who he says either God is speaking to you or you're just being your best self, whichever it is, I will follow. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain inspirational aspect to that. There's a certain clarity to that character's belief system that, again, whether you agree with it or not, you can understand this character. Yes, definitely. And the way we see, I guess it was the chief communications officer. Uh, throughout the series, just as, again, not a huge part, but a minor. We see her a couple of times. Um, and then we meet her mother later. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I had no idea mom was doing this. You've got to believe me. Yeah. And it's just, you see a different side of the character. You see mm-hmm. what's going on. You understand why she was on the ship. Because she's like, oh, I was about to, to, to be off in a couple of days before the mission. Yeah. They set these characters up really well, believably for the most part. And there was the one relationship between the male and the female officers or, or yeah. personnel. I don't know if they were both officers. I think, I they, think were. they were. That it's like, okay, that probably wouldn't have happened. But they play that through. They do. It has consequences. And they have to live with those consequences. Both in terms of they realize, okay, this mission isn't ending when we thought it was ending. And we have to call it quits. And we, we put others in danger. Then they explain. And explain isn't even the right word. They show why these relationships shouldn't happen. They justify why it's that way. Yeah. By basically taking a liberty and allowing it to have happened when yeah. it wouldn't on a ship or shouldn't in a real yeah. military ship. I've got to imagine 
we've got a big military. It's probably yeah. happened a time or two. But this illustrates, like you said, why. Yeah. And the fact that there is the the consequences of these actions, mm-hmm. the character growth, um, the way we, we uh, the guy who worked in the galley, who was the chess guy. Oh, yeah. I loved him. Um, he basically, as reward for the person who had been helping the doctor, who turned out to be a traitor working for the Russians against his will, uh, he helps enough. That guy helps. So he's he had two demands. He wants to see the sun because he's being locked in the interior of the ship, small little place, and no sun, no window, and he wants somebody good to play chess with. Mm. Yeah, so, and he's uh, quite the conversationalist during those chess games. During the chess games, he essentially s- starts almost a mutiny on the ship to a degree, and you've got a bunch of guys whose enlistment were up, and they're like, we want off. The way that was handled was brilliant. I loved it because you have to imagine if this were a real situation, if there were no longer a government because so much of the government had died. Yeah. So even if you say, okay, we're not between elections or we're not at an election point, but technically the government is still in place, but so many officials have died off that it's not functioning. For all intents and purposes, all the world governments are gone. Yeah. They're down so far on the secession chain that it stopped and became irrelevant as far as they knew. Yeah. And these guys were like, our time is up. We've done our commitment. Yeah, our enlistment is up and you can't you can't do stop loss. You can't force us to remain on the ship and for no pay because it's not like there's someone back home making sure that our IMAG deposits are still happening. You're essentially a captive at that point. Yeah. They raise the issue they have a couple of people voice the issue mm-hmm. and the way the captain deals with it is like, well, we've calculated how much it would be. And it took, to, he, he took a little time to come back to them and it's like, yeah. okay, that's good. It gave him time to calculate all of you guys would have had this much that covers essentially one of our uh, yeah. uh, tender equivalents. Or I forget what yeah, they called it. I forget what it was. One yeah. of their smaller boats or whatever, fuel rations, whatever for X amount of time. You guys show up at this time. You can either stay, leave, you know, whatever. And, of course, they're hoping that these 14, 15 people or whatever don't leave. Yeah. Not so much because they can't do without them, although that would have been a hit, but it sets the precedent. Yes. What about the next group and the next? Yeah. If every time times get rough, people bail. Yeah. You've got a problem. Yeah. And they balance, we are Navy, and this is who we are, with our country has fallen apart. There is no rest of the Navy to be part of. Well, and I almost want to say as a juxtaposition to what you're saying, at Comic-Con they mentioned that from the very first episode, you know, it's the last ship. They wanted to start almost with a ship-in-the-bottle situation. But then with each episode, they wanted the, the world to get bigger from the perspective of their characters. And, of course, you know, Comic-Con would have been around, I want to say, episode four from what we had seen Sounds on the air. Right. Perhaps episode five got promoted during there. Um, I remember it was about the time that we had seen the uh, the parachutes get used to pull the ship. Because I remember talking with our friend Jim about the... I, I have a little question. I don't do mental math, but even I question if so few parachutes could pull such a big ship. The basic premise is at this point they've lost power. They don't have any drinkable water. 
They've had to salvage it from the beer, which, of course, put some of them off. And I love reclamation of water from beer. Yeah. I will concede. That's but brilliant. Their, their engines were damaged. They could run it like one hour out of six. It needed time to cool off. So they basically take a bunch of parachutes, kind of shoot them up in the air. It catches the wind that had finally come and is pulling the ship along enough to turn the rotor to get the turbine going to where they can have power and whatnot. It, there's a certain aspect of there that it was completely it was ludicrous an, in my mind. It was an old-fashioned sailboat approach. We, we became the pirates of olden days, and we were, we were a sailboat. I just wanted more parachutes to be required to pull such a big, heavy ship. Yeah, these were the small little rectangular arc ones that, you know, you can control pretty well or whatever, and they had three pulling this ship. Now, it's, it's not a huge ship. This is a crew of 140-ish. That's a good point. Okay. It's, it's, so it's not like it's an aircraft carrier yeah, exactly. or something. But it's still a big ship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, like it's, I said, it's I wanted a, more... It, it, it's a naval vessel. It's not tiny. Yeah, I wanted more than three. But anyways, I, I love that. And, you know, we got down to South America because mm-hmm. we needed monkeys. They did cover quite a bit. They went... And we got fuel at several points. Yes. And, you know, let's... Okay. Let's slow down a tiny bit and just go. I wish I had the list of episodes in front of me. Starting with the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, Franklin was a character in the pilot. And uh, they the first time they needed fuel. And I believe we were over near France. Mm-hmm. And they went on board. I want to say it was a ship to get supplies and It was things. a cruise ship that they went on. Yeah. And that was one of the first times I think they really showed how well they understood Navy personnel. Mm -hmm. Because Franklin was exposed, and he knew he was exposed, and he's seen right in front of him how all these passengers died. Well, they also set up the rules for the virus. Yes. In open air, you're okay. In an enclosed environment? Yes. You're toast. And if you get the blood on you. Yeah. If you've got it, you've got it and you are contagious, it will spread. So if he tried to go back to the ship, he would have endangered the entire ship because it's an enclosed environment. Those sorts of things would spread there. Yeah. And it, it is a horrific, painful death. It It would have been. Yes. Yes. He chose a different way to handle it. In front of his captain. Yeah. Which, and I, I think all of that was relevant in terms of he took it into his own hands. Well, and it was the first major death that we'd seen on that mm-hmm. ship. Presumably the first one they'd had that entire thing because they'd been up in the Arctic yeah. safe for four months. I don't think anyone died in the Russian attack. I don't think so either. And the book was originally written, uh, copyright 1988. Mm-hmm. And I mention that because uh, the Russians, I mean, it's a Cold War era book. And really anyone could have been a rival for the strain from the birds that they needed to make the vaccine. I kind of disagree. I think it had to be the Russians because of the Cold War, because of those kinds of uh, military standoffs over the ages. I can't think of any other, and this could just be my ignorance, any other country, though, that the Chinese. Chinese, okay. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, these days with their large population, especially, the Chinese are another viable. They would have had a big enough navy. They would have mm-hmm. had somebody who, in this case, would have written a book. I mean, this was not just a Russian exactly. ship captain. Exactly. This was the... This, this was one of their known guys. He'd written a book. He's... 
mm-hmm. you know, a, a war hero of some sort or whatever. He was some someone our captain admired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to mention that, that Franklin, just right from the pilot, showed both, I almost want to say, the, uh, the rules of warfare against this virus, but also the quality of our characters and our military personnel in this show. Well, also the sense of consequences. Yes. He's killed off in the pilot. That creates a vacuum in one of their special ops teams that goes out and does the stuff or whatever. So mm-hmm. they have to fill that later on. And one of the guys who winds up filling it is after the whole, hey, we want to abandon ship or whatever. Those guys wind up basically having the choice of do we leave the ship or not, realize the situation they're in. And basically, I don't say come to their senses, but do the right thing and they they reenlist. Yeah. It's like, you know, yes, we could make it on our own. Maybe it'd work. Maybe it wouldn't. But we, we kind of get what's going on. You're not forcing us to be here now. It's our choice. It's our choice, and we want to be part of this solution. Yeah. But one of those guys, one of the lead guys who who had instigated all of that, winds up getting shunned by the crew, is given a chance to be on this, this, you know, I don't say black ops team, but, you know, the the strike force, if you will. I forget what they called them. Um, and, And tries to prove himself. Well, and they point out very early on that they aren't Marines. They aren't army. They're navy. You know, they aren't trained in the assault with the weapons. They're trained in the the ship driving and the guidance of missiles and well, a and different type of warfare. What's great about that is it gives you more geeks, kind of out of out of shape guys, if you will. I mean, they're not physically unfit or whatever. N- yeah. But they're not the totally ripped you know uh, uh, super soldier types they're, they're more regular joes almost but they take the time to show them training with the weapons out of the lockers we're going to go into this situation here's our plan train for this can yeah. you do it can you shoot the right thing can you not you know can you hit a target because yeah. again these guys aren't marksmen for the most part there are a couple mm-hmm. you know and they they to me, that added to the believability definitely. and the relatability. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I could relate to the guys in the comm office because they're, they're, they're geeks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some of the other people who are, you know, in the engineering section or whatever. Could I do any of those jobs? No. Well, and I liked it when the chief engineer was injured and the guy. The, the second guy, yeah. you know, the, he had to fill in for that. Yeah. And man, that was a great episode. And one of the things I love about this, we've talked just personally in the past about how certain shows do better community building than Mm, others. mm -hmm. This one did a fabulous job. It did. That episode gave that character a chance to shine. Mm -hmm. So when certain things happened later, the chief engineer was one of the ones who volunteered to test the vaccine. Yeah. He comes back. Hey, I can't do it without you. I mean, there are moments there. There are connections there that... Because we'd gotten to know these characters, made what was going on with, geez, are all these people going to survive the vaccine or not, you know, it, it gave it a, a sense of context, a sense of, of uh, relatability, of, of relevance. Well, and the girl from that relationship that was taboo was one of the ones to test the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And because they'd had that relationship dating all the way back to the pilot. 
her testing the vaccine was more poignant and had more consequences and believable ones than well, otherwise would have happened. And because she was in there testing that, she was having, you know, they were testing, giving her a medical workup on a regular basis. That also had consequences. Yeah. For her, for the other guy. I mean, yeah, it's it, something that they keep building on this. Yeah. You know, at one point earlier they had a flashback scene to the captain before they they sailed off the last time he'd seen his family and kids, essentially. You know, he was getting, what do they call them, uh, deployment gifts or whatever from the kids. Yeah. Just a little, hey, remember me with this sort of a deal. And that paid off when we see what happens to his family later, you know, Mm because, again, the whole thing is periodically they're monitoring the radio chatter just what happened to all of our families yeah you know it they well, turn this into something that could have been just a wow the world was toasted isn't that a shame to it has a very real emotional impact yeah on every member of that crew and as the world is getting bigger as i was saying earlier you know we get down to south america and they go ashore to look for the monkeys and at this point they're still very ship centric mm-hmm and as they go ashore and they see the people who are infected and it's, oh gosh, we got to get away from them. We don't want to get infected. But then they find a group of people who aren't infected and they're trying to stay uninvolved. And it's... Go in, do the mission, get out. Yeah. And there comes a point where they realize they can't. This yeah. has to be a world worth saving. Yeah, a world worth fighting for, a world worth saving and... That was such a great turning point again for the show. It was an ideological turning point of we're not just fighting to find the cure and we're not just fighting to save the world. Well, there are multiple ways to save the world. Yeah. And it shows the nature of these characters, how the the captain mm-hmm. responds to this, the the, the executive officer. You know, mm-hmm. how all of them are, are basically, you know, what they accept, what they don't accept, and why. Yeah. Um, it's got some of the, the best writing I've seen in a while. Um, again, the getting the cure, moving forward, getting back to the U.S. The amount of story they cover in this season was amazing. Where it left off is a potential game changer for the next. Yeah, and it was remarkable where they left off. It, it's got so much potential, and they realized so much of that potential. Yeah. With the character relationships, the cat and mouse game between them and the Russians, the, you know, who can you trust, who can't you trust in a few places, how all that pans out, and it just, they've, to have done all of that in 10 episodes... Mm-hmm. where I've watched some other shows over the course of a season. It's like, yeah, it was all right to watch, but did they really do anything? Yeah, yeah. Like, what mattered in that world? Well, and it was another show where, I mean, one of the things I told you about Continuum with that first season was I saw things in the pilot that were realized or came full circle in the end, and that was something I appreciated. And here again... You see things there at the end, and you're like, yeah, they knew where they were going. It's clear they had a plan. Well, and I'm curious, when you read the book, how far does the book go? Because I'm wondering if 
it covers enough for a good couple of seasons. Well, and my understanding, and part of why I will concede, I didn't rush to read the book, where in other cases, you know me, I'll just start devouring the book, so mm -hmm. I get curious about that, is that the book is very different. In part, it's about nuclear war instead of a virus. And it's... That's um, so 80s. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it's supposed to be purely from the captain's perspective. And I liked how balanced, and I almost want to say how ensemble perspective, the show was. We got techs at times, and we got the doctor at times, and I just felt like I knew all the characters on the show There in a way. are at least a dozen, if not more, characters that I might not be able to remember all their names, but kind of pick out of a lineup. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's the chief, the the chief, the the captain, the the mm -hmm. the, the master chief, the XO, the mm -hmm. the doctor, the scientist, her assistant, you know, the the chief engineer, her assistant, yeah. you know, the the lead tactical guy, mm -hmm. you know, the the girlfriend thereof, and just they we got to know so much of this crew that again the the world building the the community building they covered i want to say a lot of ground but really a lot of ocean yeah in this literally just with the crisscrossing they did and it's oh we got to get fuel gee why don't you take the helicopters well they're out of fuel you know things like that mm -hmm. the the sense of consequences the sense of they're not killing time in this show oh definitely they knew not. what they were doing for the season mm -hmm. and it paid off and yeah. if they can keep up that quality of writing in future seasons, well, awesome. And they filmed on board an actual Navy ship for two weeks. Uh, when I went, you know, Googling to see what I could find and, again, you know, trying to get our dad to watch it, I thought, well, you know, I remember when dad used to tell us that he'd written articles for various Navy publications mm -hmm. when he was in the Navy. So I sat there trying to rack my brain. I'm like, okay, which Navy newspapers and magazines thinking, well, surely they've written about the show. And if I show dad those last ship articles, maybe that will encourage him to watch it. And I found uh, two articles, one in a Marine newspaper, one in a Navy newspaper. What I also found was a casting call that had been put out, out in San Diego, mm. in a Navy publication. And what fascinated me was one of the casting requirements was must have a current military ID card to get you onto 32nd Street, which was one of the Navy bases. Right. You know, so they were looking for people who could had military base access to be background and stuff because they were they had navy cooperation military cooperation well, there's also a practicality you're not going to want to try yes. to get clearance for some random person yes. as an extra or whatever yeah it just it doesn't make sense well and most of these former military retired military i mean i know an awful lot of them who still go to the nearest military base to get their haircuts etc you know, they, they already still have the look, have the wardrobe, yeah. et cetera. You know, and Eric Dane was talking about the fact that one of the things he noticed when they first got onto the military ship was just that it's a very confined space. But trying to keep that loose, comfortable body language that the crew had when you feel these walls are so tight 
tight and close. Yeah. When you feel like every time you turn around or, or mm-hmm. go under, go through a doorway, or whatever, you're going to hit your head or bump into something because it's space is tight on those things. Yeah. And when you say they only filmed two weeks on a, a naval vessel. Which is remarkable. I'd love to know what they shot there, where they mm-hmm. shot the rest. Because I'm sure some of it was sound stages. They built the interior, you know, the bridge and a few other things. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they did a lot of green screen for stuff where they're shooting kind of in towards the ship on the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and for two weeks, the uh, cast was sleeping in crew bunks. I and, think that's that's awesome because it gives them a sense of the experience. And I don't mean staterooms. I mean bunk beds above and below one another, which mm-hmm. sounded like some interesting bonding experiences for the crew cast members well it again it gives them the experience yes. it gets them forced into the tight quarters in yeah. a way that they get to know each other and that shows on the screen oh the camaraderie and especially with um adam baldwin and eric dane mm-hmm. the adam baldwin was the xo the yeah. executive officer eric dane of course the captain yeah just from the very first episode that was one of the things that really got me was I thought, okay, these two understand my understanding, at least, of the Captain Exo relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, there were times when I thought the writers may have overdone the devil's advocate side of the Exo. Um, that I don't want to say he had almost a split personality aspect to him, that he was a little too devil's advocate and a little. There were some times early on where they butted heads a little more and it's like they're not friends and other times it's like no they've they've got a good working relationship yeah. though. Yeah, and I think the writers were trying to find the balance and yeah. intending it to be devil's advocate. Well, it's a great role oh, for Adam Baldwin. It is. I mean, he was great on Chuck, he was great on uh, on Firefly. Mhm. Um overall the entire cast here I think yeah. has really been been excellent. Well, and Eric Dane who uh I mean Please take it the right way. He was McSteamy on Grey's Anatomy. and He was also in, I think, the X-Men films as, I want to say Juggernaut, but I could be wrong on that. Well, now you got me curious. I thought he was in those as something, but um, I could be misremembering. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I jokingly call him McSteamy because that's the opposite of what a Navy captain can and should be with every female. Well, I stopped board. watching Grey's Anatomy after a few seasons because, frankly, it well exceeded my gore threshold. Yes. Uh, and I got, you know, enough of the, the, the soap opera aspect. It was good relationship stuff. And he was great on that show, but it had been long enough since I'd seen him that that really didn't kind of factor in for me as to his portrayal here. He was well cast as the captain here. He's a likable guy. He's got a sense of, of charisma, a sense of leadership about him. But the captain of a Navy ship can't be flirtatious on right. board a Navy ship. But you could have had other people that would have been more of a, an authority figure, but almost in a standoffish way, that that wouldn't have worked. I mean, a Captain Picard? No, you need somebody who's more of a Kirk, which this guy isn't quite, but... In terms of a get in the action, into the thick of it. Oh, definitely. Lead from the front. But like when he goes down to the infirmary mm-hmm. to check on the female officers and stuff, and he he wants to be comforting and understanding 
and he gives them a smile. He doesn't pull out the McSteamy flirtatious smile. He pulls out the paternal, friendly, you're going to be okay smile. Yeah. Well, it just shows the range the guy has as yes. an actor. And the again, I'd be hard-pressed to name anybody on there that I thought did a bad job. There are a few that I think were a little more in the background. Multiple man. It was from multiple X-Men. man. That's who it was. Somebody else entirely was was juggernaut. I knew I had it wrong. But I just had to interrupt because I found out and I had no idea he'd been an X Men. Yeah. Um but the doctor, uh not the scientist, Ron Dimitra, but the the actual ship doctor, he doesn't get a whole lot of space here because he's kind of in the background. He's He's a more functional role than really fleshed out. Um, but by and large, this was something that it's it's 10 episodes. It's frankly very easy to marathon. If you've got an entire Saturday or some such, you could do it in a single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I plowed through it in, in short order. It took me a couple of evenings or whatever. But it was one of those, I want to see where they go next. Well, I thought the character text... Which they brought in when they got to Cuba. They get to Guantanamo uh, to see if they can get supplies, fuel, whatever. He was one of the guards there and kind of the last man standing, if you will. Uh, and they basically kind of adopt him. Yeah, and I I loved him. Uh, in an interview, the actor said, you know, the moment he read that script, he's like, yeah, this is my character. Mm-hmm. And I see it because he just seems to so naturally fall in. To that character and bring him to life. It's a very light-hearted, he-can-break-the-tension-in-any-situation well, character. He was well, uh, I don't want to say cast, because I'm, I'm thinking more the character than the actor here. Mm. Well-constructed as a character. Mm-hmm. Because he is as competent as any of these Navy guys. Mm-hmm. And can hold his own in a firefight, that kind of a deal, you know, with the the guns and stuff like that. Um, so he is he is an equal, mm-hmm. but he's completely outside the chain of command. So he is not held by the same restrictions. He has not got a salute or any of that stuff. He's a, a free agent, but an ally. He can eat with the officers, or he can eat with the enlisted. He can go where he wants to go, hang where he wants to hang. He can talk with anyone. And, and and the relationship he has with the captain and with mm-hmm. a lot of the other characters, I think they used well, and I think there's a lot more they could do with the character. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's the wild card in the mix that they need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because if, had he been needed to intervene with the guys who wanted to desert or whatever, mm-hmm. that would have been an option. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't wind up using that. But again, he's... Without that kind of character, it, it limits what what can be done in the show. Mm-hmm. But you know, you wind up with a surprising number of of non military people on that boat. Yeah. Uh, with a, depending how the, the season opener, or the second season goes, a few more coming. Yeah. Well, and he was with uh, Captain Chandler, Eric Dane, uh, when they get stuck in the water. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I. I thought the two of them treading water for half an episode was incredibly entertaining. I am positive that was horrific to film, 
though based on our views they made the best of the situation but that can't mm-hmm. have been fun and there's a point at which uh they get out a radio signal as i recall and they say you know don't come for us right that's the captain yeah captain yeah. says yes don't come for me that's your final order yeah and tex is just looking at him like and i think he even says tell me that was a code <laughs> Yes, you're not that noble. <laughs> yes. It was to throw off the people listening. Yeah. And that was after Tex had done the, well, let me turn on the signaling device. Oh, yeah, we, we took those out. Yeah. You what? <laughs> yeah. And uh, later, the XO uh, saves their butts, basically. And the captain says he shouldn't have done that. And Tex gets mad at him. And the Russians capture them. Well, the XO is trying to save them. But the Russians get them and said they're... Well, it, when the XO uh, knocks something out oh, of the air... Oh, that's right. That's right. When he shoots the uh, the drone. Yeah. When he shoots the drone. That's what tells the Russians. Basically, you're on the right track to finding them, or quite possibly. Yeah. But also, the XO will do anything to get them. And the captain says he shouldn't have done that. Well, And again, that pays off later when there's a, why don't you send the helicopter? It's out of fuel. They burned it all looking for me. Yeah. You know, there's a a sense of, of almost bookkeeping that the writers are yes, doing. Yes, They're playing fair. We only have so many suits. We only have this. We can only do that. Well, they, they've, they've given themselves constraints that aren't crippling them. Mm-mm. And it's not like, kind of in Star Trek, what it's like, well, you know, we can't use the shuttle. We'll beam down. We can't use the beam. The transporter, you use the shuttle. Kind of, you know, it's uh, none of those games or whatever. Yeah. But they... It, it gives it a sense of 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 reality of again consequences of think about what you do because it's not going to come back to haunt you. Well, but there's very much a the captain puts his crew first. Mm-hmm. He he openly admits, yeah, I'm scared of dying, but there's this almost unstated, but I'm more scared of getting my crew killed. Well, there was when. The Master Chief is telling the Captain and the XO that he had already submitted his name and done the workup for the, the whole the cooking, vaccine, the vaccine stuff, where they're saying they are all indispensable and expendable. Yeah. Kind of, they're all needed in different ways for different reasons, but they can't carry on without them. Yeah. You know, and there's an aspect there where, again, very military mindset, it rang true. Yeah. Um, it's something that, you know, I'm glad the Navy is supporting it. I think yeah. this is going to, I don't want to say drum up business for the Navy, but it, it shows them in a good light. It shows them, honestly, not just at their best, but just the way I remember the military personnel around us being. It's it's the way the military is supposed to be. Yeah. Not what we sometimes see it depicted as through the news, through the the bad stories. Uh, well, I was about to say, you know, the news so often shows us the worst yeah. because that's what the grabs scandals, the headlines. The sensationalistic yeah. aspects. And there's not enough that really celebrates the day-to-day heroism, the, the day-to-day sacrifices our military guys yeah. You know, go through just being away from home, all that kind of stuff, not seeing the baby's first steps or whatever it yeah. may be, that having something here that really sort of celebrates them mm-hmm. and just shows them as as not, you know, 
gods or as just these superior, you know, physical people who could just, you know, not like, you know, uh, Navy SEALs or something. They could just take on anything or whatever. These guys have, have foibles. They may trip in an inopportune time on a mission and that may cause problems. Yeah. They're human. They're fallible. But they do the best they can. And the guy from the radio room who spends so many hours listening to the messages off the ham radios mm-hmm. and everything. And he comes in at one point and he says, I know I've heard that voice at this point and this point and this point. And when I first heard it, there were so many people. And then a week later, there were, you know, there were third. 50 people. Now yeah. there were 18. Now there's just the one. Yeah. She might be immune. Yeah. Sure. It's the same guy. I know the voice. Yeah. You know, and there was an aspect where that guy in the radio room was the hero. Yeah. You could argue he saved the world kind of a thing. Yeah. And showing each of these people playing their part in the bigger team, contributing, leaning on each other as they need to. Mm-hmm. You know, and it gives a an insight and an understanding to, not granted, our, our military guys aren't saving the world from an epidemic or whatever, but they're doing a lot, and I have never lived on a ship like that i don't know what it's like now i have at least a window into some of that well and you know our dad was on a ship before i was born and you know he stopped taking assignments out on ships when he became a father because he didn't want to miss first steps and things like that he gave up those assignments for desk duties and having this window into the duties he gave up. You know, one of my favorite scenes was actually when they were leaning over the charts, plotting courses and stuff, because our dad taught ROTC courses to navigate by the stars. Well, and he, he was a navigator. So when they've got the one scene where the Russians have boxed them in, yeah, it's like, well, we can go out this way. You know, we do it at high tide. We'll have just enough clearance. It's like, well, you know, we're going to be going pretty close. If we get it wrong, we're going to scrape the side of the hull off. Well, that's an incentive not to get it wrong now, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and again, those things play well. Yeah. There's the appropriate sense of, of pressure. Yeah. On those younger people to, to not screw up, but not the, oh, I'm doomed. There's also an encouragement of don't mess up and I know you can do it right. Yes. And again, Eric Dane, brilliant at that role. The writing, uh, the the entire production company, from everything from uh, the uniforms, the sets, the, uh, the just the way the life is on that ship. Yeah. I never once felt, well, yeah, they just filmed it this way or whatever. They, they create a sense of reality. They stick to it. Yeah. And it holds together. And I'm a nitpicker. I, I no, Anyone who's listened to the podcast for any length of time knows I can usually find fault with something. I'm not saying this is completely without fault. I'm saying I watched 10 episodes of it, got sucked into the story, with the exception of the parachutes. It's like, really, three parachutes? Yeah. With that as the exception, the thing held together beautifully. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to a second season. I'm curious about what's in the book. Well, and they've been picked up for a second season with 13 episodes. Which is three more than the first, which only had 10. 
Yeah. Well, and based on the really nice arc they did and the way they planned it out. And like you say, I do. I want to read through the book before the next season airs because I'm wondering what kind of hint it'll give me to what they plan to do. I did not expect them to leave off where they did. No. And, and I, I mean, since we're doing spoiler filled. spoilers, they have got a cure. Mm-hmm. They need to mass produce it. They have made it to Maryland, Maryland, to Baltimore, Baltimore, I believe. Baltimore. Yeah, uh, the captain has found his father and his two kids. the The wife has died; she got infected. Just and she died like an hour before he would have gotten to her. It was just so within close. the day. Yeah, 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 it was real close. Um, he's able to to get the vaccine into the kids. His family is now safe. They're realizing the people they have sided with there locally not on the up and up. And his family had gone to, I forget the name of the place. Olympia or whatever. It was the stadium. Yeah, and it was the place that on the radio people were hearing this broadcast saying, if you're infected... If you're sick, come here. We can help you. Yeah. Yeah, It turns out they're burning them to to fuel the power plant to keep the lights on. Yeah, but kind of before that, when you get to Olympia, they give you an injection and they lead you to believe it's a vaccine. And what Dr. Scott Ronamitra has discovered is it's not a vaccine. It's more of a... Uh, almost it's a kill a, shot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a condensed version. They're of doing the, a eugenics program, essentially. Yeah. And it's all being led by the mother of that, that senior communication yeah. officer. And she's like, I had no idea. You've got to believe me. Our crew is scattered. Yeah. The ship is being taken as we leave the episode. Yeah, by the troops from the, the state mother. troops from the, the, the National Guard or whatever yeah. the remaining authority figures were there. Yeah. And it's one of those where when we first get into Baltimore, we're led to believe this other guy mm-hmm. is kind of the warlord or whatever. And it's it, he's played by Titus Weaver, and I'm expecting him to come full force next season is is really one of their allies i bet and he was trying to prevent people from going to olympia yeah and when he realized that chandler's family was infected but got had gotten past him he didn't chase them down it's like they're gonna die anyways yeah we we can't save them yeah but at the time it had seemed like a why waste our effort killing them they're gonna die anyway but looking back on it yes they played that well they they played fair made him look like the bad guy but once you realized who the bad guys were yeah it's like no no because they show a shot at the end where he's in the tunnels with his refugees or whatever yeah here's an apple for the young girl yeah you know, whereas yeah. it was looking like he was a, a, a crazed warlord or whatever at one yeah. point. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying about Olympia, after people are given the kill shot, then it speeds up how fast the virus kills them, and then their bodies are carted off to be burned to run the generators to provide power for this new, I almost want to say fake government's we're at the point that the captain has just discovered that. A lot of the other people are clueless. One or two have figured out what's going on with the, the, the fake vaccine. One or two of our people have been shot, as I recall, as we yeah. got away from some of the uh, National Guard equivalent. But they're, they're scattered. They're, they're 
their base of the ship is is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. It left on a really interesting note. It did. And I wasn't expecting them to get back to, to land with a cure, have uh-uh. all this stuff. Um, I mean, to me, they could have played that out for another couple of seasons. I'm glad they didn't. But it gives them the ability to start the next season off with some very good action stuff, very strong put them in a position where they've got to come back from that over the course of the season or quicker well i will admit the fact that we lost control of the last ship shocked me yeah (laughs) i mean it's the title of the show i you know and one of the things that we didn't mention that again going back to just the quality of the character of captain chandler when he and tex were on the uh, russian sub having been taken prisoner and our folks go over and they're rescuing him. Mm-hmm. They've got him and they're basically saying, They're going okay, to the extraction point at that right. point. Right. And they say, okay, turn this direction. And he says, no, officer country is this way. Right, sir. We're turning this direction. No. He goes after the family of the person who had been helping the scientist who turned traitor on them. Yeah. Because his family was kept captive. Yeah. And he had already met them the captain and stuff realized what was going on and no it's like if if we can pull them out we will because he realized that was the opportunity to get the other guy i forget his name back yeah. on their side quincy i believe Quincy, yes thank you well and even if he couldn't convert quincy it was the right thing to do exactly even i mean with everything that was happening he did the right thing because it was the right thing and because there was a child being held, possibly abused, clearly scared, well, and he was not going to just get saved without at least trying to find her. There was an aspect of what if it was my wife and kid. Yeah. It was never even stated, but, but yeah. seemed implied. Yeah. And this was also the sequence in which the guy who had re-enlisted, but, you know, threatened not to, whatever... Um, had been on the that mission mm-hmm. sacrifices himself to save the captain yeah you know and it's there's a sense of again consequences of of giving one's life the the greater good and all of that yeah the whole thing has a message of hope around it yeah. just by the way these characters are and act yet they do it without being super heroic or unbelievably heroic yeah they've make mistakes they've got regrets they they do bad things or make bad decisions well and i really liked uh, patrice the young girl who was immune mm-hmm. they did some really nice stuff with her and she seemed to come from a place of fear yeah um having heard that people were basically killing anyone who might possibly have been infected and when they were testing the uh, vaccine and they needed a bucket of ice, as I recall, mm-hmm. and everyone who could possibly take the bucket of ice in was already in the area. She realized she was immune. She could get it. She yeah. could do it. And she was there because it's like, it's my blood that's helping with the vaccine yes. or whatever. She felt a sense of ownership on it. Yeah. And she just grabbed the ice and went in. Yeah. There's, and again, a sense of do the right thing because it's the right thing. Yeah. It's a very clear message for a lot of these people. Even Quincy, when he's betraying the ship, he had no choice. It was the right thing for him to do to save his family. Yeah. You know, and he knew the quandary he was in. 
Well, and Patrice at one point meets that communications guy who heard the messages Mm -hmm. and that she was on that ship. And there's just that moment of, you know, just being glad he was listening. And it's almost that moment where he goes from... There was a bond between those at one point. Yeah. Here's your father's voice sort of thing. And again, he's another one of those that we get to know. Yeah. And there's... I'm sure if I were to go back through and just be counting up the yeah. ones we get to know, there's at least a dozen or not probably at least two or three dozen actually that are recognizable recurring. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember her from a few episodes back. Well, but you just have this feeling that that character's heart had gotten ripped out a few thousand times as he listened to various messages yeah. over the radio. And yet in that one moment, in that one scene with Patrice, it was like it was healing. Mm-hmm. And the f- All of that pain paid off for him. Yeah. Again, he saved the world, arguably. Yeah. You know, it's... it's. And she... And the understanding Patrice had mm-hmm. of I'm giving to him as he's giving to me, that that was part of the bond, that we can be here for each other. Yeah. Because he heard our message. Well, the number of times the show hit those emotional notes in the right ways. Yeah. It was very moving, very addictive in many respects. It's not often I watch an action-packed, blow-things-up show and say the emotional beats were fantastic. Yeah. Again, you get to know these characters more importantly. You get to care about these characters. You know, it's... Again, yeah. a fabulously well-done show. Um, highly recommended. Looking forward to the next season. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure when the next season will start. And the only reason I mention that is I almost wonder how much lead time did they have on this first season? How much lead time will they have on the next? I hope as much thought goes into that arc. I wonder again. I mean, I... They've set a high bar. They have. I already want to go to the Comic-Con panel next year. I already want to know. This year, the world got larger with each episode. Mm -hmm. And I loved how we started with that little community in South America, having gone to Gitmo, where really we saw Tex and, what, four other people. And then we went to South America, and we had the two little communities. And we just got a little bigger and a little bigger. What are we going to do next year? Are we going to have all of Baltimore and two rival communities? How are we going to experience the world, really? I'm hoping that one of the goals for the captain is to make sure all of his crew, basically one, gets back together, and two, finds out what happens to their family. And, of course, get the vaccine out to the world. And I keep saying, we haven't mentioned. Um, In season one, we found patient zero. Mm Mm-hmm. Who, as Dr. Scott put, accidentally weaponized the virus. We had seen him a couple of times as the scientist on the Russian ship. Who just looked like a lunatic. Yeah, when we realize he's the guy who caused the worldwide epidemic out of essentially hubris. Yes. And he gets a stern talking to by Dr. Scott, as he deserved. Oh, yes. She, She was fit to be tied and... You know, they had given her a weapon in the bottom of her little box in case she needed to defend herself. And there's that moment where 
she looked like she was going to go from in case she needed to defend herself to in case she wanted to commit cold-blooded murder. The only thing I think that kept her from killing him was that the, he was in a plastic quarantine yes. thing. Yes. If that had gotten broken somehow. Yeah, the fact that she couldn't kill him and without infecting herself and everyone. You're right. They could have played that beautifully with her having to, that gets broken. She shoots him, barricades the door. Captain comes, we're here to get you. You can't. Yes. I'm infected. Mm. That could have played out well. I'm glad they didn't go that way. Oh, yes, definitely. Because she was needed later for, you know, oh, this thing you're doing is killing them, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say she's a pivotal member of the the team or whatever, but almost they all are. Yeah. Well, and uh, I have Time Warner Cable. Mm -hmm. Um, On the Time Warner Cable video on demand box, there are some extras, or at least there were while the show was airing. I was wondering what they're going to have on the DVD set. Yeah. um, They had some behind the scenes where they talked about the filming. That's how I knew about about the staying on board for two weeks and stuff. But they also did a series... Um, I watched, I want to say eight of them, one for each episode. I didn't get the last two somewhat, obviously, but it's uh, Dr. Scott in character, Romitra, and she is basically Skyping and leaving video messages Mm. to the boyfriend that she alluded to and a few other people. And uh, one of them is to Quincy, inviting him to join her and be on this. And it's before, and they're all from before the show. Uh, it leads up to mm-hmm. when she's got it. Interesting. And they're all kind of backstory to the episode. I know you don't like my approach. One of them is her rehearsing a speech, as I recall, and stuff. But they all kind of... I don't want to say added layers, but just kind of gave you a little more information on something they've been alluded to. You get to know her better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, again, terrific show. Um, TNT's done a lot of really great things, and they've got a number of other shows, you know, that they do uh, that are original to them. Yeah. Um, It's easy to think about just the main networks, but I think, you know, looking at what TNT's doing, what some of these other cable channels are doing, well worth doing otherwise you could miss a a wonderful show like this yeah i would definitely recommend the last ship i'm looking forward to season two and i really i enjoyed the full season arc so much that i really hope season two takes the same full season arc approach i hope so i hope it's not like a telegraph this will be the arc clear from episode one very true but i hope it's got the sense of payoff the sense of of a complete bookend while still having episodes that stand solid on their own yeah i won't say the the first season episodes stood alone they don't they're part of a serial narrative yeah Yeah. but each one had payoff each one had a mission that was accomplished or at least they tried really hard to accomplish it felt like it didn't it wasn't set up for the next episode yeah you could watch the hour and get something out of it and say yeah that was a good episode i want to see what happens next yeah definitely sign of success yeah Anything else? Does it pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.